0: Well it's good to be here with you today. It's also good to walk around on this platform up here because I'm scouting out my sleeping spot for soul in the city. <laughs> Feels a little softer up here than down there. Well, I just am so grateful to be here today. Greetings from Grace Anglican Church in Fleming Island, Florida. If you don't know where that is, just go out here to 17, turn left and go two hundred and fifty miles, and quite literally our church is on Highway 17. There's even a plaque on the, on the front right as you walk into our worship space with Bishop T.J.'s name on it because he dedicated our buildings. We're, our church is well known to T.J. and um, I'm so grateful for his oversight. It was in 2001 that I first came to know uh, T.J. when I was part of a church plant in Houston with Alan Hughes who spoke here last week, the last two weeks actually. That was when I met T.J. and he kind of was my bishop for a long period and it occurred to me this week as I was preparing that on this very date, nine years ago, TJ laid hands on me and ordained me as a priest. So it's so cool to be here in his church preaching uh, this day. So I'm really grateful to be here. And also to those of you from our Holy Cross days that came, it's good to see some familiar faces back there. Thanks for coming to encourage me. Well, I want to pray, and then I'm going to get into our sermon this morning. So would you please bow your heads with me? Well, Lord, it is good to be in your house. And I pray now that your Holy Spirit would come, that you would help me as I preach, that you would help the people of St. Peter's Church have your power be empowered for the mission you've given them. Lord, if you don't speak this morning, it doesn't matter what I say. So come. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as um, I think you're aware, this is the Feast of Pentecost. So this morning, we are giving thanks to God for his gift to the church about 2,000 years ago when the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, fell upon that church and empowered them for mission. It's called Pentecost, the prefix penta and the number five, because it happened exactly 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And so we are remembering that this morning. And it seems fitting uh, following what Alan preached the last two weeks on your calling and then your equipping and now being empowered The Holy Spirit is the power behind this mission and ministry that we have. So that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to, my wife helps me with my clarity of message. So I want to be real clear on what I'm aiming for this morning. So later, if someone says, what was the sermon on, you can say this. If you see God, if you want to see God at work, you need to know what he's doing. So we want to look at what he says he's going to be doing. And then we'll start to see him at work all around us. Who's the famous painter guy on TV with the big hair, Bob somebody who paints and he talks? Bob Ross, right? If you've ever watched an artist start with a pencil to sketch out on their canvas what they're drawing, but they don't tell you, like Bob does, what they're doing, it just doesn't make any sense until way later in the process. The same is true about the kingdom of God. If you're aware of what God is up to on the front end, then as the picture unfolds, you know what's happening and you can participate in it. I want to just informally do a survey. How many of you have ever played paintball? Wow. Okay, that's, that's a lot. Even some women out there. Well done. I want to tell you about the first time I played paintball. I was in Texas at that church. I was doing student ministry. And some of the high school kids said, hey, come play paintball with us. And I'm an athlete, I've done lots of sports. You know, I got there, I got my little toy, you know, what do they call it? It's not called a gun, it's something else. It was like a little toy. There's a referee in a white and black shirt, just like coming out onto a soccer field. And I kind of trot out onto that field thinking this is gonna be some kind of game. And the teams take sides and I kind of stand next to a barrel, right, and he blows the whistle. And then all of a sudden, bullets, not toys, bullets start flying. <laughs> I drop to the ground. I crawl like a scared little boy behind this barrel. Adrenaline is coursing through my veins, and my heart's going boom, 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 boom. And I I sat there and prayed for like three minutes straight. And I went, oh, God, I'm in war. This This is going to hurt. And you see, I was ignorant about the game, and then the conflict happened, and then I was sort of disoriented for a long time. I came home with big welts on my body, with bloody knuckles, because like a sissy, I would just hold the gun out like this and start pulling the trigger, and then my hand would get all shot up, and it was bad. Now, think about this from a spiritual perspective. That describes a lot of people. They're kind of naive or ignorant about what's going on. There's some kind of conflict that happens, or a weird spiritual thing, or there's some suffering that doesn't fit their thinking about God and thinking about blessing or prosperity. And then they go away disillusioned. They're confused. And a lot of bad ideas about theology, about God, about the church comes out of that experience. Now, let me ask you, maybe this is yourself I'm describing. Does that describe you? Or think about some of the people in your family or at your work, in your life. Does that describe where they are? They don't understand what's going on in spiritual reality. They've had some kind of hardship or conflict, and now they're disillusioned. You know, is God really in charge? Then why am I suffering? Well, we're at war. There's a real spiritual conflict. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at this from the scripture and try to understand a little bit about about what God intends to do. There's There's a girl in our youth group who has been going to church, goes to youth group, goes to Soul in a city every year, and she's been praying to God. And she's frustrated because God's not answering her prayers. But you see, she's setting the agenda. She's not in his word very often. She's not asking God, what are you up to? And so she's not seeing what he's doing. So she's growing disillusioned and frustrated. And I want to suggest that that's maybe not the best approach. I want to suggest what my main point is, is that when you know what God's doing... You will see him do it. So how would you answer this question? What is the Holy Spirit of God doing in the world today? How would you answer that question? Do you have have an answer for that? Well, we're going to look at John 16, that passage that was just read a minute ago, and see a couple of things about the ministry of the Spirit of God, who, by the way, is here with us in this place. In fact, the vision for St. Peter's Church mentions the power of the Holy Spirit to go and bring transformation, and you guys are partnering with him in his work to win the world. So in John 16, we've got part of the farewell discourse of Jesus. From John 13 all the way to John 17, Jesus is giving his parting words to his followers in the upper room. And he's explaining some things. And he says something that in here that is so, I guess, surprising to them. It is to your advantage that I go away. For unless I go away, the helper won't come to you. He's saying, I'm returning to my Father, and until that happens, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, won't come, and he can't do his work. Now, it's not that the Holy Spirit hasn't been there from the beginning. If you go back to Genesis 1, the very beginning, the Holy Spirit's moving over the waters of creation right from the start. He's active all the way through this book. You know, when King David is anointed, the Holy Spirit rushes on him. He's doing all sorts of stuff, but he can't fully do his work until Jesus has completed his work. So he dies on the cross, he rises to new life, and then he ascends to the Father, and then the Spirit comes, because now he's got the full salvation of Jesus to work with. And he now, for the first time, comes and takes up permanent residence in the hearts of believers. This passage tells us, though, what he's, what he's doing. He's called the helper in the ESV. The Greek word is paraclete. Maybe you've heard that. It's, it's not a word that can be easily translated over into English. So maybe if you're like an NIV person, I looked up a number of different translations on how this has been translated. The NIV says counselor. He's called the counselor. The um, King James Version calls him the comforter. The NRSV calls him the advocate. Helper sometimes to me sounds a little bit like a little assistant, right? Like a little kid who's your helper as you're doing something. That doesn't quite get the magnitude of this. The word paraclete comes from the legal metaphor. It comes from a courtroom kind of language. Uh, like think a, a lawyer as your counselor to come alongside and provide uh, support and to de- fight for you and defend you. That's who this, this helper is. And there's a fundamental concept in this passage that right now in this passage, the world is on trial before God. Just like Jesus was on trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, and Jesus was on trial before Pilate, and the world condemned him, now things are turned around, and in this passage, the Holy Spirit is coming and putting the world on trial. So this legal metaphor fits all the way through this passage. So the reality is that this is going on all around us right now. So there are three things this passage says in verses... Well, it describes all three in verse 8. In verse 8 it says, And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So there's your answer, by the way. If you didn't know what the Holy Spirit is doing, he's come to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. I want to look at those three things. Concerning sin in verse 9, it says, because the world does not believe in Jesus whom the Father sent. So the first thing is about belief. It's about sin. It's about convicting hearts to believe in Jesus. This is the primary sin, is rejecting the one that God sent. Now, sometimes people think about salvation in terms of what we have to do. But that metaphor, let me, let me give you this picture. Imagine, I mean, there's water all around here. Um, I'm a sailor like Bishop TJ. I love being on boats. Imagine a catastrophe happens, not to Bishop TJ but uh, somebody else, and the, the boat is going down, and they're just swimming. They're out there in the water, just barely treading. There's no land anywhere in sight. They're about to get exhausted. We sometimes think of God like this. Here he comes with the helicopter. He drops a rope down and says, climb up. That's not actually the picture of the one that he sent. Here's how it actually worked. The son of God comes in the helicopter. He jumps out You climb on his head as he hooks you to that ladder. He drowns as the helicopter takes you away. So all that you have to do is receive that. But what the world does, and the Holy Spirit convicts of this, is they fight him and push him away and say, no, no, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that. And what the Holy Spirit does is he comes and brings conviction that I'm actually a sinner, that I need a Savior. And then we're in the right posture to receive who Jesus is and what he's done for us. You know, there is an account in Jesus' ministry where a man was lowered through a roof, a person that couldn't walk. He's lowered down by his friends. And when Jesus sees their faith, he says something to them, he, to him. He says, your sins are forgiven. It's kind of a weird thing, right? They're like, well, we, we were kind of hoping you would help him walk again. Maybe you don't understand what we're asking. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, all the people that watch this says, how can he forgive sins? Who does this guy think he is? And then he says, but that you would know that Jesus has authority, that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, be healed. And this man, of course, is healed. Now, here's the point. Which is the bigger miracle? The forgiveness of sins and the repentance of his heart. Not that his, healed, his legs were healed. So there's miracles happening all around in our lives. It's when a person who is an enemy of God is convicted by the Holy Spirit and turns, and turns and admits... Yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm God's enemy. I need to be saved. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what God has sent his spirit to do. Now, let me go back to that girl from our youth group. You know, one of the things she, she did pray for that was in alignment with what God was doing was that a friend of hers from grade school, whose family doesn't go to church, would meet the Lord, would start coming to church. And this kid came to Soul in the City, and then he started coming to youth group. And he, she came home and told her mom, Mom, at youth group tonight... Garrett had tears running down his face as the youth pastor was talking about Jesus. That kid comes back now every week. Salvation is breaking into his household through this teenager. And she started to see this and got a glimpse of it. When you know what he's doing, you'll see him do it. When you know what he's about, you can start to go, hey, that's God there. Maybe even in your own life. When you recognize that you're, you're not as good as you once thought you were and you get to that place... That's the Holy Spirit working on you to convict you of sin, that you didn't believe in Jesus. That gets you in the right spot to move to the second thing, which is the Holy Spirit came to convict the world concerning righteousness. Now, again, think courtroom metaphor here. That word righteousness could mean justice. And the truth is that on the cross, it was an unjust death, that Jesus was condemned by the world, but he didn't deserve it. And so the Holy Spirit... Comes and he begins to convict people about this. Think about this during the the Holy Week, right? You guys, I'm sure you observed Holy Week here, maybe a Good Friday service or something. Think about all the people in the path of Jesus that the Holy Spirit convicted that he was not deserving of that death, starting with Judas, who betrayed him. Even before it happens, once, once Jesus has been arrested, Judas goes back to the religious leaders and throws the silver back to them and says, I've betrayed innocent blood. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit convicted him of righteousness because Jesus actually was righteous. Or think about Pilate's wife. In a dream, she, said, she, gets, she suffers much, and she goes to Pilate and says, have nothing to do with this man. He's innocent. Or think about the two thieves on the cross on either side of Jesus. One of them repents and says to the other thief, we deserve to be here, but not this guy. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is a king. He didn't deserve to be on that cross. So that's the Holy Spirit convicting the world concerning righteousness and justice, that Jesus did not deserve to die on that cross. There's a whole number of other things that happen. Pilate puts a sign on top of the cross that says, the king of the Jews, right? And they're offended. No, no, say, he said he was the king of the Jews, but it just simply says king of the Jews. And Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. And he leaves it up there. Or the centurion who watches Jesus die He says, surely this man was the son of God, right? That's the, that's the Holy spirit convicting the world concerning righteousness that Jesus actually did not deserve to die. You know who did? I did. You did. We did. A number of years ago, there was a a praise song that we sang in church that had a really cool bridge and it said, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross, my sin upon the cross. Again, that's the Holy Spirit bringing conviction about justice and righteousness. When you know what the Holy Spirit's doing, you'll see him do it. And then the third thing is he'll convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is cast down, is overthrown. In chapter 12 of John's gospel, that's what Jesus says. Now at this hour, now the ruler of this world is cast down. So there was a conflict. C.S. Lewis said something to this effect. The entire universe is both claimed and counterclaimed by a kingdom. Every square inch of this universe, one prince, Satan, says, This is my territory. And then Jesus came and said, No, no, I'm taking it back. This is mine. So there's no neutral territory. And what the Holy Spirit does, the third thing, is He says, Satan has lost. The kingdom of darkness has been thrown down. Who cheers for a losing team? I see Alan sitting over there, and being, being a, a person from Pittsburgh, you know, the so-called City of Champions, I take great pleasure in the fact that he might even be secretly a deep Steelers fan. And you know why? Because you guys don't have a football team here. So when he was, like, whatever, a, a, a kid, the Steelers had won the Super Bowl and had won a couple of them in, like, the 70s. Do you think he's going to pick some team like Houston? Do you think he's going to pick some team like the Jacksonville Jaguars? No, he picks the Steelers, right? Because he wants to pick the winning team. The Holy Spirit is saying there are only two teams out there. One has already lost, already done. God is winning. He's already won. And so he's helping us to see that one path leads to destruction for sure, and the other one leads to life. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And it's an invitation when you know what he's doing, you'll see him do it. We have a, an associate pastor at our church named Dan, and he and his wife went into this little kind of mediocre art boutique recently. And they were kind of looking at some of the pictures, and um, the lady that owns the place said, hey, it's really good that you're here today. Since I'm the owner, um, I actually have a second floor with more art up there. Would you like to come up and see some of that? And they said, sure. And they, it felt, the invitation felt slightly off. And they said, sure, but we'll go. And they start walking up the stairs. And his wife said, as we were walking up the stairs, I felt this awful fear and dread come over me. And Dan started to feel weird about it, too. And when they got up there, there was some art, but there was also some kind of reading room, sort of like a, somebody who might do palm reading or have a crystal ball, or it was this kind of a cult place. And they suddenly realized, this is re- the real deal. I'm in the presence of darkness here. And, and Dan said, in that moment, I felt this overwhelming strength that the spirit that is in me is stronger than the spirit that is up here and that he's already won. And so what was so interesting, Dan wasn't wearing a collar or anything. He, just, he was just looking kind of like a normal guy. And, and this woman said, you're a pastor, aren't you? Like she knew in the darkness of the enemy that this guy was a man of ministry and he admitted it. And then he started to talk to her some about this. And he felt the power of the Holy Spirit confronting darkness right there. And I, I don't know how far that conversation went because I didn't get the rest of the story. But my point is that there are two kingdoms that are, that are clashing. And what this prince who's been thrown down is doing now is he's either trying to get you to think he doesn't exist or to get you afraid and think he's more powerful than he is. And what the Holy Spirit is doing is he is convicting the world that... Of judgment that he's already been judged and that Satan has been thrown down. So for those who are full of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is within you is stronger than the Spirit that is in the world, and you can walk in boldness because of that. Now I love I love your mission statement at Saint Peter's about going and transforming the low country and beyond and and having the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Sunday is about understanding what that Holy Spirit does. And I want to give you. A real specific point of application. Two, actually, and I'll close with this. One is I want you to look for the work of the Holy Spirit today. Expect him to be doing these things. That's the promise of God's word. He's out there convicting of sin, that we are sinners in need of a savior. He's out there convicting that Jesus is a worthy savior and did not deserve that cross. And he's convicting that the powers, the dark powers of this world, have already been cast down and have been judged. So go and look for this. Look for it in the people around you so you can then speak into it. I will tell you this. One of the most moving things I've ever experienced is when God will speak through me in a conversation with someone. And that, and then the Holy Spirit will come into that, that person's life in some way. You know, if we're not aware of what he's doing, we'll totally miss those moments. Now, maybe I, don't, I wish I knew you better. I don't. Maybe, you're, maybe I'm kind of describing you. The Holy Spirit's working on you in some way on one of those things. I want to encourage you to surrender to that, to step into it fully all the way and let him start to move in your life. So this day, look. Look for this work of the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing is pray accordingly. That girl in the youth group accidentally was praying just out of compassion for her friend, but she was actually praying in accordance, in the name of Jesus, with what the Holy Spirit was doing, and that boy came to faith in the youth group. What a powerful thing. This is who God is. And as I say, When you know what he's doing, you'll see him do it. Let's look for God today and let's pray for his kingdom to come here in our lives, in the friends and family that we know and around the city. And then we'll be empowered for this this ministry we've been called to and equipped for. And now we have the power because of the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you to pray with me now. Would you please bow your heads? Oh, Lord God, I thank you for your deep love for us. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, and I pray now that he, the third person of the Trinity, would come. Come into this church, come upon each person today. Lord, help us to love you and to serve you and to work to advance your kingdom. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.